The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome everyone that is here and everyone that's joining us online. Welcome in the name of Jesus. May his grace and his peace be with you during this season. Uh, If you're visiting with us, we're a church that's being transformed to the image of God so that anyone the the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God. And we do that three ways, by gathering the name of the Father, by growing into his image, and by going by the power of his spirit. This year, our emphasis is on going. And we've been in a sermon series, and this is the last of a three-part sermon series called Sharing Possessions, Our Goods, and the Good News. And so I want to finish up today with this text, with Acts 2. It'll be a familiar text to many of you, Acts 2, beginning in 41 through 47. The word of the Lord says this, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled at awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Let's pray. God, as always, we give you thanks for your word. For your word is our life. And we trust you. And because we trust you, we trust your words. God, help us to translate your words into our lives. To make us your people so that we may grow into the image of your Son and go by the power of your Spirit to do the works you have prepared for us in advance to do. And God, as always, I ask for ears to hear, for hearts to follow, for lives and bodies that will obey. And God, today I ask for the gift of preaching. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. In the Indiana Jones trilogy, in the third movie, The Last Crusade, early in that film, Dr. Jones, who's an archaeologist, is standing up, pictured here in front of a classroom. And he's talking to a group of students and writing on the, the blackboard, the chalkboard. And he says this, archaeology is about facts, not truth. Forget about any ideas about lost cities, exotic travel, digging up the world. We do not follow maps to buried treasures, and X never, ever marks the spot. Now, like all good literature, movies and literature, they use kind of devices that kind of clue us in to some things. And one of the things that's happening, you may not have noticed in this movie, is that this kind of foreshadows how this movie is going to go. And it's kind of ironic 
because in the last crusade, Indiana Jones archaeological expeditions end up being about not just facts, but the search for truth. They end up being about lost cities and digging up the world. And, well, watch this video. Just keep it to ourselves. Find something? Uh, yes, three, seven, and ten. The window seems to be the source of a Roman numeral. My God, I must be blind. Dad wasn't looking for a book about the knight's tomb. He was looking for the tomb itself. Don't you get it? The tomb is somewhere in the library. You said yourself it used to be a church. Look. Three. Three. Seven. Seven. Ten. And ten. Now, where's the ten? Look around for the ten. It's about facts, not truth, he says. And forget about lost cities and exotic travel and digging up the world. You're never following maps that lead to buried treasure. And never, ever does X mark the spot. And X marks the spot. In ancient Greek literature and also in scripture, there's a form, uh, kind of a, a literary form that actually gives us a clue to uh, some meaning. It would give meaning to ancient Greek people and people in the ancient world would have understood some of these devices that were used. Foreshadowing is not the thing that this text in Acts is doing, but there is something in this text that we don't really recognize fully that it is doing. In fact, one of the literary devices in scripture and in ancient Greek literature is something called a chiasm. So if you know the letter in Greek chi, you put it up on the screen, chi is a big X. And so a chiasm works something like this. It kind of looks like a big X. If you go to the next slide, it works something like this. That you have uh, the first thing and the last thing, they mirror each other in the reading. The beginning and ending statements, they seem to, they mirror each other. While not exact, but they mirror each other. And then the statements B and B mirror each other as well. But what is in the middle, what is the very crux of the chiasm, is the crux of the matter that the author wants you and I to understand. The center of the chiasm is the main point. In other words, X marks the spot. And so Acts 2 actually functions like a chiasm. So we go on to the next slide. It begins with this. 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then it ends with, no, go back to the, back to the slide before. The Lord added to their number daily. Now one of the reasons we don't usually see this is because that first part 
A, we usually think about that they heard the words of Peter, and those that heard the words and believed, they were added to their number that day, they were baptized and added to their number. We think it goes with that. But our scripture sometimes gets separated by these things, these titles that, that uh, translators put in, and actually it mirrors what's happening at the bottom of that text. So then you go to the next slide, and B looks like this. So it begins with 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then it talks about there was teaching, devoted to teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer, and they were amazed. And then it follows, it mirrors almost the same thing just a few verses later. There's fellowship, there's breaking of bread, there's thanksgiving, there's praise, and they enjoy the favor of all the people. And then it ends with how it begins. But at the very center of the chiasm, is this. They had everything in common. And they sold their possessions and gave to those that had need. X marks the spot. The main point is this, that they had everything in common and they sold their property and possessions to those they had, th those that were in need. And a, and a chiastic structure often focused on the relationship between the outside statements, A and A, their relationship to the center of the structure, which is C. So the center becomes the focus for how the outside comes to pass. So, 3,000 were added to their number daily. The Lord added to their number daily. They had everything in common and sold their possessions and gave. The relationship of A and A has to do with what's going on in the middle. That's how it comes to pass. X marks the spot. Now, we usually think of God adding to their number because of Peter's sermon. And I know how much you love sermons in here. Actually, we think sermons, not just because we preach them, but the springs, we think sermons are really a poor part of, of worship. We don't think it's the most important. We don't think it's the only thing. But we value it. That's why we do it. Because we think preaching and proclaiming the word of God is really important. But while maybe they heard those words and they came to faith, it's been noted that one of the primary ways that people probably came to faith was not just because sermons were preached. Sermons were preached. There's like seven in the book of Acts. And we should keep preaching sermons. We should keep proclaiming the word of God. But Rodney Stark in his book, The Rise of Christianity, he talks about historically that the church grew primarily through relational networks where the church showed great compassion and generosity. So the church's care and concern was directed towards, first of all, members of God's family, the church. They had everything in common. They sold their possessions and gave to those who had need within the church. But secondly, the church's care and concern was directed towards their neighbors. And particularly during times of hardship, whether it be disease 
or famine or economic hardship. I mean, there were other reasons why the church grew, but this is what Rodney Stark says. It was because the relational networks they had and because of their compassion and their generosity. In other words, the growth that's discussed by Stark is reflected in Acts 2. They had everything in common, and they sold their possessions, and they gave to those in need. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When I was in Uganda... I was Bill Gates. And what I mean by I didn't have as, money, as much money as Bill Gates, but compared to the people that I was with all the time, I was Bill Gates. And I really struggled for a good while. I mean, there was always this tension that I had, even in my entire time there, but we always struggled with how do I live with my possessions? How do I live with all that I have given all the need that is out there? And there's a lot of need out there. I'm telling you. You may not think there's a lot of need in Edmond, which there is, by the way. But there's a lot of need in the world. So as I struggled with this idea of how much I had versus how much need there was. I remember being home on a furlough and I asked a good friend. I don't even remember who it was. It doesn't really matter. But I remember asking a friend who was older, been pretty successful in life. And I was sharing this with this person, just saying, what do I do? What do I do with all of this that I have and all this need in the world? And I'll never forget, this person responded. He said, Ben, I've come to realize I've made a lot of money. I've got a lot of stuff. But I've come to realize that all of this stuff doesn't really matter. And I understood what he meant by that. And I didn't say this to him, but my very next thought that I had to myself was this, if it doesn't matter to you, then why do you have so much of it? Which was really a question for myself, not this gentleman. Because the fact is, to the extent that I had it, it did matter to me. Right? Because there's a lot of people that it would matter for in the world. So the extent that I had it, it mattered. And so here's what I want you to understand. Your stuff, it matters. I understand the sentiment about material goods not really mattering in the big scheme of things. Our family's more important, God's more important, but let's don't undersell how much your stuff matters. It matters. And by the way, it should matter to you because it matters to God. God created all of it, and because he did not waste his time creating it. Don't treat it like something that is just a waste. 
God created it for me and for you and for the entire world. Your stuff matters. And because it matters, that's why we share it. Because it matters. They sold their possessions and they shared it. Not because their possessions didn't matter, no. It's because their possessions did matter. It mattered to them and to those that they shared it with. Now, maybe selling your possessions is not the way you're going to give, although it's a possibility. There's lots of ways that we share our possessions or that I've heard. I, I haven't done all these things. I'm going to share with you some things that have been meaningful to me. Whether I've done them or not, but I thought, wow, that's, that's impressive about thinking about selling possessions. I know people that have sold investments and given them away. They sold stocks in order to be generous. I've known people that gave their car to someone. In fact, I know multiple people that have done that. Just gave it away. Say, you need a car? Here, I've got a car. But maybe selling your stuff is not the normal way to give. Here's an impressive sharing of possessions. I've never done this, so don't, don't see this as something I do, but I, I, I aspire to this. It was actually a member of this congregation that I knew from way back in the 1990s. I don't think they live in Oklahoma anymore. I don't remember the church teaching me a lot about, I remember they told me to give, but they didn't teach me a lot about how that worked. In fact, that's one of the reasons I struggled in Uganda a bit, because I knew only two things, and maybe I wasn't paying attention in church, but I, I'm pretty sure I was paying attention enough, because I remember these two things, and the only two things I remember about sharing my possessions is that one, don't be greedy which no one really defined that for me. How did I know I was greedy? That's a tough one. And then two, give. Usually 10%, but that's not always what, it was kind of the, the assumed. But this was a really impressive thing. I remember talking to this gentleman who used to go to the Springs, and he said this. He said, whenever I make a purchase... If I'm going to have a monthly payment on whatever I'm going to have, I have to budget. I want to make sure that my giving to the church is my highest monthly payment. That stuck with me. 25 years later, 30 years later, that stuck with me. Wow. So you're going to buy a house? All right. What's the mortgage payment? Can we afford more than that? Others have just taught me this, that they set aside the first fruits, that the first thing they budget and get to 
is, hey, what am I going to contribute? And it may not be their highest payment, but this is the first thing that we're going to do with our first fruits of what we earn. We're going to give. And then we're going to live off the rest. And some that I've learned that have very little and actually have no money at all, just give what they have. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a mud hut church building in Uganda. And when it was time for the collection, everybody's dropping their coins or their small bills. You see this old woman who has no money and she walks up with three eggs and puts it in the collection plate. She walks up with two avocados and puts it in the collection plate. And then at the end, the leader takes it and they auction it off <laughs> to get money. Those old women didn't have any money. They didn't have a single coin. But they gave what they had. And I guarantee those eggs, they mattered. Those avocado, they mattered. Those small coins or small bills, they mattered. Maybe it looks like for you, giving up, Brett said this, giving up a streaming service. Maybe it looks like you giving up. I've known friends that said, hey, I'm going to just drink coffee from home. I'm going to give up stopping by Starbucks. And I'm going to take that money. For some of you, you're like, whoa, that's a big, big, big sacrifice. Maybe it means giving up eating out one less time and taking that extra money and giving it. The point is, whether it goes from selling your possessions to making it your biggest contribution to making your first fruits to bringing eggs or just whatever you have to giving up something in order to give, the point is this. Your stuff matters. Just share some of it. Just anything. You know, the Springs, to be fair, has been a model for a lot of people on giving. Missions has been at the very heart and the DNA of this church. We've supported financially and given generously to missions in Africa, Latin America, Asia, even our own city and Cross and Crown. This congregation gave a big donation to the Rock Foundation in Kigali, which, which, which helped purchase a school where people are still learning today. John mentioned this last week, and this is one of the, the coolest things, I think. And I've heard a lot of stuff in missions. But one of the coolest things is that the church, this church, gave $400,000. Is that the right amount? $400,000 to the Basir Penjang Church, Penjang church in Singapore. In order for them to pay for their building, which I understand is still there today. They're still worshiping there today. We shared our possessions, $400,000, which is a big deal. And that church 
shared it back with us and paid us back. From places almost on the exact opposite side of the world, sharing possessions. The building on May Avenue that we owned and we sold. You guys are enjoying this place. That by the way, we didn't have to raise money for this place. It was from the sale of that building. We are all enjoying sitting here today, the generosity of people that built that building that we end up selling. And not only that, not only did they build that building, there were people later on that paid it off and gave money to pay off that debt. Which, by the way, it's exciting to give to things that are doing something. It's really not exciting to give money to pay off debt. But that's a real sacrifice that you and I enjoy today. If you're sitting in this room, at least on some level, you're blessed by people that were generous and gave. In the ministry... The amount of ministry that has, that has been done through this church since 1953 when the village church, before we became Quell Springs, when that started, there's been so many people that have been generous. And they were generous towards a building back then that we end up selling and moving to the north, to the May Avenue building. But the amount of ministry that's been done, I mean, some of it, we could, if we tried to add it all up, you could, never, you could never know all the ministry spent on because of the generosity of this church from 1953 on. And so, there are people that have been in this church for many, many years that have given and given and they've gave and they continue to give even today. And I'm not talking little amounts, I'm talking generous amounts. To all of you that are in this room that have been at this church that have given probably more than you can remember to this church. And I'm not gonna say who you are, you know who you are. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your possessions with us. I and everyone in here have benefited from your generosity. And not only us, but our neighbors and the community around us, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving. God's name has been glorified through your generosity. And I want to say to us maybe that are younger, that are entering those years we've been here for a while or we've not been here for very long but we're getting up there and, and most of the people that I'm talking about are a bit older. They're a bit older than me. But we have a generation like mine, the one right above me and the one right below me. It is our time. They have modeled something for you. And so we want to just begin, give. Just give something, just start. 
because they had everything in common. And they sold their possessions and gave those who had need. X marks the spot. But we also have another model. Not just people in this church, but we have another model for generosity. And that's God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All the world belongs to God, and he shares it all with us. God shares his life with us, that he gives us his spirit. He shares that with us, and he shares the abundant life that he has with us. And maybe, perhaps, God's greatest possession is his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. God is a God that shares things. Because all of this stuff matters to God. And Jesus matters to God. And God's own life matters to God. And God willingly shares that with you and I and the entire world. And so when we come to these tables, as we're about to right now, we receive Christ every time we come to these tables. We share in the stuff of creation, the bread. Even though it's small, it reminds us that stuff matters and God shares it with us. We share in God's life together. When we commune with God and with one another around these tables and in the groups that we form. And we receive God's greatest possession the gift of his son. Acts 2, 44, it says this. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet in the, together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. The table of the Lord. It is the centerpiece of Christian worship. In other words, X marks the spot. It is the place that marks God's life and ours together. It is the place where receiving and giving occurs. There will be elder couples around the room if you have need, prayer, baptism. This is how we fellowship and encourage one another. This is what the Lord has taught us to do. And so we want to share in this time together. If you have any needs, you can share with a, an elder couple that's around the room. We also have the bread and the juice. They're in two cups stacked on top of each other. We share together in the body and blood of Jesus. It's what he graciously gives to us that we receive in faith. And it's no coincidence that we have baskets as well. Because this is not just a table of receiving 
that in God's kingdom, when we gather around his table and he gives, that is a model for us that as we receive, we look and he kind of winks at us and nods and we pass it to someone else and we take what we have out of our pockets and we share. Like you would want your own kids. Like we want our children to do. That's what God wants for us. He wants to give you life. And in that life, including all that stuff that matters, he wants us to turn around in order to be shaped into his image and share with others. Welcome to the table of the Lord. Let's stand and partake together.